Vera Payne. It's no secret that the U.S. has fallen behind in the ability to rank as a leader in science, technology, engineering, and math. But why? That's not such an easy question to answer. Professor Emeritus of Biology and National Science Board member Roger Beachy joins me now to answer. Thanks for joining me, Roger. It's a pleasure. So tell me, why has the U.S. fallen behind as the leader in STEM? And actually, when were we at the peak of the STEM percentage? I think as, uh, as the peak of the STEM percentage, probably uh, eight years ago to nine to ten, ten years ago, we've always been at the top. We're used to being at the top. And in recent years, a number of other countries have begun investing in R&D because they see the value of research and development, especially in the STEM regions of science because of the impacts on economic growth and development, especially in technology. So other countries are beginning to invest, and as they invest, our percentage of the total goes down. But we've been kind of a laggard in investing in research in the last few years, and we need to pay attention to those uh, to that slowdown and also to the competition that comes from those uh, in other countries. It's funny, about 10 years ago, I did notice, or maybe even more than 10 years ago, in 2008, when the recession happened, one of the first things that went out in a lot of companies that I noticed was the research and development, because they're trying to stay afloat, not to continue to expand. So they ended up axing out those type of departments. You think that kind of caused a decline in it? I think it, in some parts it did. Companies are really good in, in investing in research and, uh, that's related to development and, and product promotion and product development. Uh, what we need are the, uh, is, is a continuing flow of new knowledge that comes from fundamental science, from, from investing in, in research per se, maybe not knowing quite where it goes or targeting it somewhat, but uh, having new knowledge which which uh, creates the basis of innovation. And, and that's, of course, where economic growth come from, comes from. So the, the loss of or the decline in R&D funding from private sector is largely in the, in the fundamental sciences. So with that decline, what are the consequences of it? Because the most that I could think of happened is just like, well, obviously some people lost their jobs. But besides that, it didn't really affect us. We continued to move forward. But I mean, we didn't get any new type of iPhones, really, just so they got a little bigger. (laughs) I think, and the reason for that is that uh, much of the research that's done in, let's say, universities or in the the basic sciences in in companies is is relatively long-term. Some research we don't see impact for, let's say, five to 10, as much as 20 years or 25 years. Basic observations that that are sort of fundamental building blocks, if, if you wish, uh, are, are really that. They're building blocks. And on top of that, more science is happening and then more discoveries. And finally, we get to an innovation uh, e- economy. But on the other hand, there are some research of observations and findings. Let's say, for example, CRISPR technology for in biology uh, leads in, to almost to near immediate applications in, in medicine or in agriculture or even in diagnostics of diseases. So some things are, have rapid turnaround, if you like, or rapid payoffs, and others take more time. And I think the reason we don't see that a, a big drop-off in innovation is because we're still harvesting from, from the seed corn that was planted years ago through, through the basic sciences. And I like that you said it was planted years ago in the 80s, the 90s, and especially like the late 90s. I remember in, for schooling, there would always be the commercials, hey, go to school for a tech job, or, you know, you could be middle management or upper management. 
It was always pushed to us kids that we need to go into the tech industry. How important is it for our children to become part of the STEM industry? It's terribly important that we that we do that. It's anticipated that our, our biggest growth will be in tech-related uh, industries in the future, whether they're sensors in agriculture or sensors in, in medicine or even the new switches that, that drive telephones to be more effective or software to be more effective. Those tech-related jobs are good-paying jobs. They require a background in, in science and technology and, and engineering and mathematics. But they don't require a bachelor's degree in many cases. Some regions thrive on having an economy built on a STEM technical workforce and others on a research base that builds on bachelor's degrees or PhD degrees in, in science and technology. But having a basis in mathematics and, and science per se as young kids gives them an opportunity to participate in this growing of the economy and in the uh, knowledge sector, what we call the KTI or knowledge technology industries. And and the opportunities there are greater. Even in this recent recession that we've had with pandemic-related shutdowns and slowdowns, those that are in the STEM workforce uh, tended to have higher-paying jobs, and the jobs were long-lasting. There wasn't the turnover. So it becomes the basis of of a permanent job. It also becomes a absolutely fundamental important component of American economy and innovation that that takes us forward into the future based upon on this knowledge that new that new blood brings to the table Uh, and that's where the young people come in ideas from young people and the knowledge basis that they create into the future will be our our fuel now, do you think that it's likely that other countries are going to go beyond us in the future when it comes to our, the field of science? Our concern is uh, at the National Science Board and other agencies that sort of um, set the stage for, for research going forward is just that, that we will lag behind in, our, in, education, in education, which is the fundamental component of the STEM workforce, of the technical workforce, and the innovation that goes forward. Unfortunately, we haven't advanced nearly as rapidly in K through 12 education and knowledge in mathematics and science and engineering at all in comparison to other countries that are, have done far more than. We lag, I think, in, in mathematics to about 35th in a tally of the 100 most advanced countries, economically advanced countries. We're not doing very well. And we haven't for a few years. This was observed a number of years ago when there was a push towards getting more knowledge into in the K-12 and more science and education, rather, science and engineering into the STEM, in STEM areas in K-12 and, and technical schools. But, but we haven't made up much, loss, much ground. We've lost ground uh, in comparison to other countries in Europe and especially in the East, uh, China and Japan, Korea and so forth. So we have to get on our horses, as you say, to catch up. Uh, a lot of this is simply making commitments at the local level, K through 12, and, and using real information that helps teachers become better teachers in this space, or having more teachers that are really trained in the disciplines of science and, and engineering and mathematics, rather than having this be a, a secondary component and, and we're of, of one's training. So we're quite concerned at the National Science Board that we haven't made the, the knowledge equally accessible to those in different socioeconomic groups or those that live in urban areas or, 
or suburban areas compared to rural areas. And without making this knowledge available to every child in school, limits where we go in the future, essentially, especially in some regions of the U.S. that are, that are more, more vulnerable to, to a laggard education or have lower socioeconomic situations. So we're quite concerned because with, without that investment in, in education in the early years as well as in the, in the transition years and into college, it puts us farther behind. And, and we are concerned that we will soon not be the leaders in science and, edu- and engineering. And if we're not the leaders in science and engineering, then we're not the leaders in, in the knowledge economy, which, which helps us w- uh, keep our living standards as they are. I know it's a long answer, but it, it's, a, it's a real concern to, to many of us who think about the role that education plays in our long-term economic future. I like how you said the teachers have to maybe re-educate, learn how to teach better. As a parent, what could you do to make sure that your school is doing just this, or if you need to, find help from um, an outside party? I think there are several things that schools can do, and and one is to have a commitment at the highest levels of of the board and the highest levels of the region and the district and then within every school. It's really important that this message and this conviction of, of, of better teaching goes all the way top to all the way up to the board. That that this be available in poor socioeconomic regions as well as the wealthy regions or areas of our education system. If I'm a parent and I'm concerned about where my child finds his or her future, all the knowledge that they, that they can gain that's relevant to that future is important for for them and they should make their voices heard. We have a whole mixture, as you know, in this, in this country of, of, educational, of education boards and a lot of local control, which is important. But, but at the end of this, it, it's the well-being of our economy and the well-being of our children and families that drive us to focus our children in education. And that impetus has to come from parents, but also from the local community. And the commitment of all of us to the future makes this an achievable goal. We have great opportunities in this country because of the nature of our society and the, and the freedoms and the diversity, for goodness sake, the diversity of cultures and backgrounds and philosophies that, that enter into a general education and then push ideas forward makes it real obvious for the U.S. to get better. And, but it does start with concerned individuals, perhaps concerned as much about the, um, the well-being and the, and the health and the economy of the region, as well as philosophies and other things that, that drive board decisions. Absolutely. I'm thinking to myself, while I'm sitting here, my sister had wanted to put her son into some kind of tutor program, after-school tutor program, and she couldn't afford it. And I had talked with her a couple of days about it, like maybe the two of us or we can ask our parents, we can all pull our money together because her son, he's in a classroom of, I think, 28 students. So that's a lot of kids. And he's ahead of them and he's getting bored. So it was one of those, should we foster this kind of, you know, thing he has with math? He really likes to count. You know, maybe we should put him in something else. And I'm just thinking maybe not a lot of people out there have that support group where they're like, hey, let's pull our money together so we can get him a tutor. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's right. Uh, it's the means that we have uh, to enable our children 
in some cases, to learn more and to learn better, more effectively, to be more advanced or to get remediation as needed. And having the, the capabilities to do that or the support within the school system that recognizes the differences and, and makes allowances for it. It's really hard when, when a classroom is 35 or 40 kids, as there are some, in some schools in, in the far west of, of our country. But in other areas, it's, uh, even 28 can be a burden. 15 can be a burden if the teacher is not isn't fully prepared for the unusual situation. And having special recognition of that within the school system, but also within family, is real critical. I resonate with what you said, having children that are ahead or gifted in some way in, in one topic or another, uh, to be held back and not allowed to, to fly forward seems quite a shame. And, and and, and a disservice to society because you've got a brain that, <clears throat> that wants to contribute and can contribute if, if focused. So those of us who have the, the capability as family, as you said, are, are really uh, are, are special and unusual, but have an opportunity. And, and I, I think a lot of those uh, families who don't have that support, yet the child may be equally as bright, equally as capable, equally as gifted to contribute their knowledge and their drive to the success of their community. And that's what we find missing in, in the U.S. chance to move forward. We've made our success based upon largely on, on sort of imported brains, if you like. We've been fortunate that, that those who live outside the U.S. want to have their, their bachelor's degree or Ph.D. here, and then they'll stay here, which enriches our, our economy. But we have so many children that that are in our own country that don't meet their full potential and therefore aren't able to contribute as they should, as they could, and give them opportunities as well. So we see the real importance of, of continuing K-12 education and continuing to encourage those from outside the U.S. who, who, want to, who likely see the advantages and the future and promise of being in the U.S. education system and economic system to thrive, we need to keep the doors open for that as well. Uh, so it, all of that together is, is what leads to our success as a, as a country and as a society, having, having the means to do what you've just talked about or, or to spend an extra hour or two at, at a museum or to thrive on the baseball field while at the same time doing calculus and mathematics in your head as you run around the bases, whatever it takes to continue the brain development as well as preventing the loss of, of what we have trained. Well, Roger, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you being here. For those listening, where can they find more information about you and the uh, National Science Board? The National Science Board is, is a, the governing board of the National Science Foundation. And uh, by going online to uh, www.nationalsciencefoundation.gov, you'll find the National Science Board and, and what it does. And, and I hope there's a, a growing interest in pursuing the, the kinds of things that the board is concerned about as we together keep America strong, keep our economy growing, and keep our, our, uh, our population happy and contributing to the to welfare, not only of the U.S., but bubbling over and, and helping to enrich the world at the same time. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you today. This has been the Mason Vera Payne Show. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to hear more? Head to WGNRadio.com for exclusive content by Mason. Also, follow Mason on Facebook and Twitter at Mason Vera Payne. That's all one word. And don't forget to share the show with your friends.